Hey friends, hey, welcome to a new episode of Common Sense Pod. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you haven't done so, do hit the subscribe button or the follow button wherever you are uh, watching or listening to this. It really helps the podcast. Now, I didn't acknowledge this last week, but the song you heard coming in is called Ya by Samson, who's a friend of mine. And you can always check out uh, his music if you go into the description section of this podcast or on YouTube. Now, this episode is about Ukraine and Russia. And you know, I really searched hard before I made this episode because I did ask myself, is there a need for my voice? Do I need to add to the already 24-7 news cycle on this issue? You know, you got RT and Russian-owned media going into overdrive, trying to spin this. You've got the Western narrative. You've got conspiracy theorists going mad. I'm just thinking, do I need to add to this, right? What can I possibly add? And after speaking to friends, I decided for this episode, I wouldn't get a guest on um, because I don't want to have another discussion about what's going on. I want to just give you uh, crystal clear information, give you a sense of um, all the different, I guess, moving parts and perspectives to consider as you seek out information for yourself. Uh, times like this are super important that you seek out uh, impartial, bipartisan, but also you know, uh, information that doesn't have an interest, so to speak. And so I'll try my hardest to do that. But this is, it's also very important to put it on the table right now. When you've got a fast developing story like this, information and fact very quickly becomes out of date. So I'm recording this podcast Monday, the 28th of February. I've left it as late as possible, uh, 6.53 p.m. And so, you know, by the time you're listening to this, if you're listening to it back after a, a while, um, some of the story, some of the facts may be out of date, right? But also, I don't just want to just give you uh, news stories because then the replay value of this is very low. You can only only really listen to it once. Instead, I want to try to get a bit deeper into some of the motivations and, like I said, perspectives for you to consider as to why this may be happening, but also why democracies are so fragile and why it's very very important uh, for us in the West here to to be very active and in watching Russia's uh, actions. Now, I'll give you some summary points just in terms of where we are right now, you know, whilst you're listening to me. Chances are this may be out of date when you're listening, but as of today, um, air raid sirens were heard uh, in Ukraine's capital city, Kiev, um, and the reports are there's been a Russian airstrike on the outskirts of the city. This means the Russian army is moving away from the second largest city, and now they're moving towards the capital city. Now, dozens of civilians were killed earlier in Ukraine's second largest cities, uh, Kharkiv, I believe. This is what the uh, interior minister said. Now, negotiators from Kiev, Ukraine's capital city, and Moscow held talks today, earlier today in Belarus. And essentially what they're trying to do here is negotiate a ceasefire or, or, or basically try and bring an end to the conflict. Now, Russia says both sides have committed to continue talking and will meet again in the next few days. Now, uh, 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 Ukraine's uh, uh, leader, Zelensky, urged Russians to lay down their weapons and called for the EU to immediately fasten, if you like, the accession process and bring Ukraine into membership of the EU. Now, FIFA and UEFA, they've suspended the Russian football clubs and national teams from all competitions. And the UN says more than half a million refugees have now fled Ukraine into neighboring countries. So that gives you, I guess, a snapshot of what's currently happening there right now. 
Now, in, in typical Western form, I took to Instagram to ask a couple of people what's going on, you know, what, sorry, to ask a couple of people what they want to know about the conflict, because I just want to answer um, um, questions that people who listen to this podcast may have. So if you want to be part of these kind of episodes in the future, then you need to be following myself or Common Sense Pod or the Common Sense Network online. That way you can see these questions. So if you don't follow us, it's Common Sense Podcast on Instagram, CS Pod, CS Podcast. And I'm Mike Omni, and you can just find us online. Now, the first question here was essentially, I'm showing my age, I've got to get my glasses out, was what what are Putin's motivations? Now, <clears throat> I put some notes down here, but I, I have to first put it on the table that I can't read a man's mind, so I have no clue what's in his soul. But uh, there are a couple of motivations that we can think about, right, uh, 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 that may explain Russia's aggression, uh, Russia's aggression or the Kremlin's aggression particularly. Now, the Cold War is, people, is what people always talk about. You know, following 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of the, uh, uh, of the Soviet Union, uh, uh, Russia, if you like, became a diminished power on the world stage. You know, they lost a, a bunch of land because former Soviet countries broke away. When we think about uh, Poland, Belarus, Ukraine, to name a few, Estonia, so on and so forth. Now, Putin's always been bitter since the Cold War ended because essentially it, sh it saw a shrinking down of his country and the West pretty much declared victory. So one of the motivations, some may say, is this is consistent with Putin's uh, desire to slowly rebuild Russia's sphere of influence, right? To pull different countries into Russia's orbit and to basically almost try to reset the time and grow Russia's power again. That wouldn't be uh, uh, you know, too hard to imagine a former Soviet a super state trying to kind of flex his muscles and grow back to what it, what it once was. Now, some people will say, uh, Russia's justified in trying to grow uh, power because America has become more and more increasingly powerful since the uh, end of the Cold War. But also NATO um, has also become more and more powerful. And NATO's actually starting to uh, 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 accept more and more countries that are on Russia's boundary. Now, for that reason, folks would say that you know, this, is, this is Russia trying to basically grow its power base out again. There's a second motivation I can think about, which is more, I guess, about this kind of ideological messianic belief that Russia has um, or, or that Putin has. And this is that Ukraine belongs to Russia. Um, there's parts of Ukraine where Russia's spoken. In fact, cer certain eastern parts of Ukraine, um, you know, Putin's decided are, are actually Russia, right? Uh, 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 um, belong to Russia. And so anytime that the Ukraine tries to kind of align itself with the West, it, it really rubs Putin up the wrong way because he believes that fundamentally Ukraine isn't a real country um, and, and really belongs to Russia, right? So, so Ukrainian conquest, if you like, is justifiable because really it's just a younger brother of Russia and, and it's always belonged to, to, to Russia. Now, the third reason I can think about is, of course, that Putin detests the West. I think this is patently clear. Um, I've said it on other shows, news shows and podcasts that, that Putin um, uh, hates how the West works. You know, the, the, the democratic leadership style, the un uncoordinatedness, the free press, all these crucial features of Western democracy. Putin has never uh, liked. He he. he, he 
thinks diplomacy, if you like, um, um, is it, it's kind of the West's tool, uh, and it's how they're going to perpetuate their lies. In an earlier press conference, we saw him calling the West an empire of lies. Now, those may be some of his motivations, but there's a more particular and a more technical one, which is that uh, Putin fears that Ukraine may join a larger body like NATO or the EU and therefore become insulated, if you like, from aggression. Um, you know, in, in the, in the, if you're a member of NATO, there's an article called Article 5, which essentially means that an attack on one member of NATO means an attack on all members of NATO. Now, Ukraine that shares its border with Russia, if Ukraine was to join NATO, if anyone aggresses Ukraine, then NATO would have to defend um, uh, uh, that 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 uh, that country from the aggressor, if you like. And if two members of NATO um, are, are in a fight, then whoever's the aggressor would be kicked out of NATO, and then you know the whole of NATO would then basically defend uh, the, the country still a member of NATO against the aggressor. So Putin's fear is as NATO con continues to expand, if Ukraine should join NATO, then that threatens, if you like, the sovereignty or the power or the economic structure of Russia. And so he's never liked that. Ukraine's been saying it wants to do that. Uh, and so with all these other reasons, Putin just decided, I would rather just take over Ukraine now. So I hope that gives a, a good answer to some of, some of what his motivations might be. Second question reads, who does Putin think he is? All right. I, again, I don't know. But I did say something in another podcast, which is that, you know, Putin's been president or prime minister of Ukraine, of Russia now uh, for for 22 years. And it was the second ever leader the country's had after Yeltsin. When you've been in power for that long, you do develop this kind of larger than life sense of living. You know, you're like Teflon, nothing, nothing sticks to you. You can do anything you like. Um, and so in all of Putin's calculation, he just believes he can do this. And, and, and knowing that other countries won't actually put troops on the ground, uh, Russia that has the second biggest army in the world just decided that this was a fight worth going in for. Uh, it's one that sits with them ideologically. It makes tactical sense for them to do. And also they believe they can do it because, you know, he believes that, that the Ukraine belongs to him uh, uh, ultimately. So, so that, that might give you a sense of why that's happening. The third question reads, is this a new Cold War? Is this the Cold War Mark II? Now, I think it's probably early to make those kind of calls when we think about the degree of the Cold War. But um, I don't think it's too crazy to imagine that instead of communism, the ideological battle lines this time are with democracies and, 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 aut and aut autocracies, I guess. Um, and you can look, if you look at on the world stage, that the, uh, uh, the autocracies kind of loosely align, if you like, um, to form a coalition where the political regimes they have share that same common characteristics, you know, centralized, centralized leadership, uh, people in the, in the middle that basically function as dictators, as dictators, but put on a front of democracy. So 
you can look like you can look at Russia and think about um, other communist countries like China or North Korea or even theocracies uh, in the, in the in, um, when you think about Iran, all of those could function as a block where then you look at the wider West and their democracies functioning, you know, uh, together. And, and yes, you could see you know, cooperation between these uh, autocracies when, when you think about economic cooperation, you think about military assistance, they might give each other diplomatic backing, um, they might work together militarily. So I, I do think it's early for that core, but it's it's not too hard to imagine that something like that could be could be how we see the new world order, so to speak, is is a is a, a alignment of all the Western democracies against these more uh, traditional, if you like, uh, autocracies who, who who have a certain uh, belief pattern. Now, the next question says: Is the West to blame? Is the West to blame? Well, listen. <laughs> Being being from the UK, we have a habit of blaming everything on, on us, really. And the UK is responsible for a lot of things around the world. The West at large is does have to share a portion of blame in one part. And that is, we've always believed that Russia, or the new Russia, when Putin emerged into the world stage, was this willing-to-do-business, pragmatic new Russia. And so we've turned a blind eye to many egregious offenses that Russia has committed, like annexing Crimea in 2014. And we kind of just let it go uh, in, in favor of doing business with Russia. We've allowed our economies to become so intertwined and so interdependent that, that Russia knows that even the sanctions that he, uh, his country would suffer uh, would be limited in that the UK and other countries couldn't hurt Russia without also hurting themselves. So we've been treating Russia like a liberal democracy um, and not recognizing the autocratic leadership that it has. And of course, there's times where we've seen the West condemning Russia. They they often do it. But because we've treated them as that and we've allowed our economies to, economies to become so independent, we are at fault for letting things get to this stage and letting things blow up, uh, 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 blow up like this. NATO is also to blame because NATO was formed at the end of the world at the end of World War II, and it was formed for a very specific reason. It's pretty much expired now, but still, you know, the, NATO continues to operate around the world and and carry out all sorts of all sorts of different activities. You know, there's lots of betrayal on both sides, but um. But I think yeah, the the West does definitely share a, a, a part of, a part of the to blame. Now this seems like a statement here, but I will explore some of these things. Someone said, "I have you seen the way they treat black people? Um, it's a shame to see racism even in times of conflict." Yeah, so I saw some videos, and I'll show you if you're listening to this podcast, you'll have to pay close attention. But I will show you some of the videos I've seen. Um, around how black people are being treated, especially black people in Ukraine trying to flee the country, get on the trains to, to neighboring countries. And uh, here are two interviews of um, uh, kind of um, uh, statesmen or, or, or politicians sharing their thoughts on on what's going on. Uh, I'm going to play uh, uh, some of them for you now. Children being killed every day with cookies, missiles. 
And you can't report to us, and he's local. And so, of course, I, I understand and respect the emotion. What you were outlining there is this tension between longer-term efforts to apply pressure to Vladimir Putin, such as financial sec sanctions, and the very immediate military threat which we're experiencing. Now, that was very disappointing to hear. And I actually watched this interview live and was so fascinated by what was going on with the war that I actually didn't catch it because you have to listen closely. He said it's really sad to see. And he said it was sad to see European people with blonde hair and blue eyes, which is very odd. That's a very, that's a reference to that Aryan race that Hitler once spoke about. It's a very narrow way to see what it means to be European. I mean, what is he talking about there? Is he saying that people who don't have blonde hair and blue eyes aren't European? Now, let's assume he's under stress and he didn't know what he was saying. Um, it's still a very odd thing to mention that particular definition of European. Now, there's a saying I heard growing up that when you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice, right? And I guess in times of conflict, when you squeeze some Europeans, it seems as though you get racism. I don't think it's excusable. I think it's sad. Um, and, 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 and for me, it's really quite telling that in moments of conflict, people are almost saying what they mean. And, and what they seem to mean is that Europe, and in particular Ukraine, belongs to blonde-haired and, and blue-eyed people. That's ridiculous. That's, that's a view that should not be aired uh, in public at this stage. But also, to come from a politician and a statesman who should be better at these sort of interviews was really, really sad to hear. I, I, found, I found those views pretty abhorrent, actually. Um, here's another uh, interview that, 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 that shared a different view. I don't even know where to begin with this one because you know it's the, the language is dressed up so as to be descriptive but of course it's it's just nonsense the notion that these are obviously these aren't obvious refugees because they're middle class it, 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 it's such coded language and quite frankly dog whistle that it just makes me think what on earth is this person even talking about why are these views being uh, aired this notion that these middle-class well-dressed people don't deserve something like this of course they don't right but but they don't deserve it because they're humans and no human deserves it not because they're middle-class and well-dressed and european right um there's there's conflict happening around the world right now in palestine in in somalia in yemen there's there, there's conflict everywhere but the idea that it's the middle-class people who are well-dressed that deserve our attention and our care uh, it, it's really sad, and I hate doing this, right? When you've got conflict going on, I hate going, but there's conflict happening here as well because it feels like you're you're doing the whole, you know, what about, what about, but it's true. What about other places in the world where conflict's happening? Let's not focus on this conflict solely because it's white people. I mean, let, let's put it out there, right? That, that's a problem, and, and I have an issue with that narrative. You know, any persecuted people deserve our care. Any persecuted people deserve our support. We shouldn't use these, you know, blue-haired and, sorry, uh, blonde-haired and, and blue-eyed kind of uh, dog whistles. So that was really, really sad uh, to see. 
Now, the last question which I'll consider is, what do you think will happen next? Someone asked what do you think will happen next? Well, listen, I don't know. I don't know. On a podcast, I spoke about how this has already had massive ramifications. We've seen um, gas prices shoot up. We've seen the, the price of the barrel of oil go up. I've said it before that Ukraine is responsible for 8% of, of grains, uh, the grain supply worldwide. So that's going to have an effect on, on, on a lot of, on a lot of di uh, different things. There's been lots of sanctions and, and, and you know, the EU keeps announcing, uh, uh, you know, multiple rounds of sanctions that are starting to tighten their grip uh, on Russia. So, so we'll see. I mean, that this invasion has taken a lot longer than Russia planned for. We were told this would take a couple of days, and now we're seeing it's it's, it's taken almost seven days at this stage. And Russia won't want to capitulate and say we failed invading a much smaller country militarily and also a, a much less de developed country militarily. That that would be embarrassing on the world stage. And and and, and if Putin's reputation is anything to go by, he's not simply going to. Um, uh, uh, abandon his uh, imperialist uh, ambitions. But at the same time, um, President Zelensky is leading a very, very inspired uh, uh, group of Ukrainians. And these aren't just all soldiers. These are, I mean, it seems like everyone really is staying in that city to fight. Um, and the, the, the motivation uh, that you have to fight and die for your country is very different to the motivation you have to just fulfill your duty or, or, or to basically uh, further the aims of an imperialist kind of dictator. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because both sides just don't seem willing to lay down arms at this stage, or at least we'll want the other party to go first. Uh, we'll, of course, keep covering it at the Contents Network. We'll keep writing articles about it. But I hope this was helpful and, and served as a, as, as, as a good information source. If it did, please do hit the subscribe button or follow button. We want to grow this podcast. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast, then do leave a review uh, and give us uh, uh, five stars if possible. Um, and of course, what's really important to me is that you share this with a friend, share this with someone you love, um, give them a go, uh, tell them to, to give the podcast a go. Um, we've got some exciting guests booked. I mean, we've, we've got like, I think 10 or 11 guests back to back booked. So I'm very excited for this season. Um, but I'll need your help growing this podcast. So if you are a, a kind of continual listener, thank you so much. Um, and if it's your first time, do subscribe and be a part of this growing family. Uh, stay safe and have an amazing week. Hmm. <sighs>